You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. John chapter 4. Last week we were looking at the story of the Samaritan woman and the uh, things that Jesus intentionally did within that story to teach his disciples some important things about the gospel ministry that, that he was in. Uh, we saw from a uh, summary sentence last week that we have a responsibility to prioritize our life, our location, our activities, and our interactions around the gospel because people all around us have the same basic needs that can only find fulfillment in Christ. And so uh, where we are, where we choose to live, where we uh, choose to work, the activities that we engage in throughout the week, the interactions that we have with people throughout the week, all those things need to be prioritized around the gospel. We need to recognize that we come in contact with people every day, some uh, the same people, some different people. We come in contact with people every day, though, that have the same basic needs of needing to find fulfillment in Christ. And so uh, I gave you 12 points last week. I just want to remind you of, of several of those. We talked about recognizing daily events as God's sovereign plan, that uh, Jesus finds himself journeying uh, and not cutting around Samaria like would normally be the case, but cutting through Samaria. And so he comes in contact with the woman at the well who people would normally not be at the well at that time, but because of her sketchy past, she's there. And so it, it, it allows for a conversation to take place. And we talked about not missing ministry opportunities when you're tired or when you're busy. Jesus could have easily, easily checked out at that point, And, you know, he had been leading people to Christ. He'd been very intentional over the past weeks and could have easily taken a break there, but instead he engages in conversation. Um, we talked about how the disciples miss opportunities when they go into town to grab lunch for everybody, that they would have naturally interacted with people there. They've had this life-changing experience with Jesus, but all indications are that they don't really mention that to anybody in Samaria, maybe because of their prejudice towards people that live there. They come back with lunch, but we see when the woman has this interaction with Jesus and she starts to believe, she goes into the same area and she comes back with a crowd of people that want to hear Jesus. And so we talked about not missing ministry opportunities when we're busy either. The disciples were so concerned and busy about getting lunch, they missed opportunities to talk about Jesus with people who were open to hearing about him. We talked about being intentional to push back against prejudice and discrimination, that Jesus intentionally takes his disciples to Samaria where the Jews hated these people, hated these people, wanted nothing to do with these people, did not even want to eat and drink after the same utensils from these people. And Jesus goes there to help them understand, help his disciples understand that the gospel is for the Samaritans as well. We talked about understanding that sexual sin matters to God, that Jesus doesn't uh, overlook the fact that this woman needs healing in this area. We talked about seeking to worship God the way that he wants to be worshiped, in spirit and in truth. And we talked about sharing what you were learning with others uh, and learning to, to have your faith deepen as you learn more about God as well. We also saw some evangelism myths that we see debunked in this story, that presenting the gospel is supposed to look the same every time. Sometimes we feel like we have to have this canned approach to telling people about Jesus. We see Jesus approach it one way with Nicodemus and a different way with the Samaritan woman. We talked about that second myth of having to develop a relationship with a person in order to share the gospel with them. Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of time with this woman before he goes right for her heart. He doesn't plan on being friends with her for the next several weeks or months before he gets around to talking about the gospel. We don't have to have a deep relationship with somebody for them to hear us out when it comes to spiritual things. Myth number three, we reach people best if we share common interests with them. 
Jesus has nothing in common with this lady. Completely different backgrounds, different genders, nothing in common. And so we don't have to have common interests with people for them to hear us. And then that myth number four was my past sins will keep, keep those closest to me from really listening to me. Man, everybody in this town would have known who she was. She, she's made some sinful choices to where people would have recognized that she's been with multiple men and has a, has a past that nobody is, is desiring to really be friends with her. And they listen to her very quickly. When, when she comes back and talks about the change that has happened in her heart, people respond and want to come find out what has happened to her. That brings us into John chapter 4, verse 43. It says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Remember, there were some miracles that were done there after he had cleansed the temple. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Our summary sentence for today. God wants to take our shallow faith to mature faith so that we believe and expect his faithfulness before we actually see his faithfulness, reducing the amount of time it takes for us to trust him in the midst of difficulty. God wants to take our shallow faith to mature faith so that we believe and expect his faithfulness before we actually see his faithfulness, reducing the amount of time it takes for us to trust him in the midst of difficulty. For our kids, God wants to grow our faith so that we trust him more when times are hard. This story contrasts really interestingly with the story right before it, with the woman at the well. It helps contrast genuine faith versus curiosity. We see Jesus addressing both the official in this story, but indirectly he's addressing everybody in the crowds when he talks about their need to see signs, needs to see miracles and wonders it says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That you that's listed there is not singular in reference to the official only. It's a plural word in the original language. So it lets us know that Jesus had intent of, of collecting everybody that could hear him into that grouping of, of really not expressing true, genuine faith yet. It's real different from what we just saw with the Samaritan people, right? We don't have Jesus working miracles in that story beyond the miracle of changing a woman's heart, right? There's, there's no miraculous sign. There's no miraculous wonder that takes place when the Samaritan people come out. He's not, he's not doing tricks. He's not, he's not doing anything to overly impress them. He's just teaching them. Look what it says. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. 
The Samaritans are a great example of what genuine faith looks like, and that's hearing God at his word, taking him at his word, and believing it. There's, there's, there's no miraculous signs that are being given to the Samaritan people. They are simply believing Jesus at his word without the signs and miracles. The Jews seem to only want him because they believe miracles will come. This miracle that we see here at the end of chapter 4, it's real similar to the first miracle that we saw back in John uh, chapter 2. You remember when he turned the water into wine, we saw a rebuke in that story as well, where Mary came to him asking him to do something, and Jesus kind of had a, a short, curt response to her, and we talked about what he was doing there. What's well, similar here, this guy shows up and wants Jesus to come with him and heal his son, and instead Jesus begins to address their, their lack of faith. And so there's some similarities in these two miracles with that. Uh, they're both done through word only. Jesus just speaks, and these things happen. You have in both these accounts the servants being kind of in the know. You had the, the people who were preparing the water and having it turn into wine and serving that. The servants were very much a part of that miracle. In this account, you have the official showing up, and the servants are already aware that the miracle has occurred, right? They're the ones that are informing the official of what has taken place. In both cases, we see increased belief in people who have already believed. Remember in the water-to-wine story, the disciples have already believed in Jesus, and what happened as a result of that miracle? We're told that the disciples believed in him more. In this case, we're going to see the official believed in Jesus when he tells him, your son will be healed, and then we see him believe again or believe more when he gets home and actually sees that it has taken place. And so similarities there in these two stories. Both stories are different from an emotional standpoint, though, right? You've got one who, one which takes place at a wedding where there's all kinds of joy, all kinds of celebration, and then another in the midst of sorrow and fear where, where a parent is desperate for the healing of their child. It's a great reminder to us that Jesus is needed in both situations. In the midst of joy and celebration, we need Jesus. In the midst of sorrow and fear, we also need the same Jesus. It's interesting to see that the talk of the wedding miracle has continued as Jesus comes back. Um, it's continuing to be a point of discussion. This official that's listed here would have been a, would have been a man of great power. Uh, he would have been at least in some type of service within the, uh, the confines of the king. Um, and what's interesting is that despite everything that he would have had at his disposal, being a, an official with power, working for the king, he's got access to money, he's got access to power and control, but none of those things are useful to him at this point. He, he, can't, he can't get his son healed. He can pay the best doctors, and I'm sure he has at this point, and it hasn't worked. He, he, can't, he can't solve this greatest problem that he has right now, and that's the healing of his son. He couldn't buy his way out of it or order his way out of it. The distance between uh, Capernaum and Cana here is about 18 miles to get to Jesus. So this was a intentional effort by him. This wasn't just something that he decides to, on a whim, try. This was a journey for him to come this far. I think it's interesting when you're talking about a man of great power, people who has, a man who has servants, that he chooses to come himself. Think about that. He doesn't send anybody to do it for him which I think is an expression of his faith and belief and urgency that, that this is really my only hope, my last hope. So instead of sending a servant, he decides to go himself, which is a big step because think about it. 
he's not sure how long his child has, right? I mean, he's very urgent with Jesus that if we don't leave now, if we don't go now, he may be dead before we get back, which means he decides to potentially sacrifice his final moments, his final opportunities to be with his son to go try to get help from Jesus. Again, he could have sent a servant and he could have stayed for those precious moments in case Jesus says no or in case Jesus proves incapable of doing this. He could have hung out with his son for for the last moments. Instead, he leaves. Instead, he leaves and he ventures out to go get Jesus, which I do think is an expression of initial shallow faith that Jesus does something with. As we jump into the text, I want to give you three points today, three points that I think and, and hope that you'll remember because I think we all, all, all of us need these today. Number one, believe that God is bigger than you have heard. Believe that God is bigger than you have heard. For our kids, God can do anything. As he came again to Canaan and Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. A couple of things to see here. Number one, the official rightfully believed that Jesus was willing to help him personally. So the official goes beyond just this mindset of, oh, I've heard great things about God, or I've heard great things about Jesus. Um, I, I've heard these rumors. I've heard these testimonies. I've heard these stories. He reaches, he reaches out and, and personalizes that for himself. He says, you know what, these things that I've heard can apply to me as well. And this is important for us and this is important for our kids as they're growing up here at our church and they're hearing more about God and they're, and they're hearing more about how God is working in the lives of our families, that they connect the fact that this can be a personal experience for them too. That it's not just about hearing about God, it's recognizing that the God of your parents can be the God of you as well, right? That, 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 that it takes an expression of faith in the God that we've heard about for us to embrace him personally. And that's exactly what we see what the official does here. He's heard these things about Jesus, but he takes steps to make this a personal experience for himself. He applies what he's heard to himself. The picture here is that he comes and he begs and doesn't back down from his request. Notice how he never appeals to his status as a reason to do this. Notice he doesn't ever say, look, you're a carpenter, and I work for the king, you better come do this, right? He, he asked Jesus to do it. Jesus says, eh, you know what, like you guys, you guys are never going to believe unless you see miracles, unless you see wonders. He doesn't follow it back up and say, listen here, carpenter, like, like you have to come do this. Like I have the right to demand this of you. He just continues to beg and implore Jesus to come and heal his son. He rightly believed that Jesus could help him personally. Number two, he rightly believed that Jesus could do greater things than what he had heard about. Think about this. Up to this point, specifically given to us in John, we have no reason to believe as a skeptic who who is not following Jesus that he's capable of healing sick. We, We know he can turn water into wine. We know he's done some other things, but John hasn't seen really fit to tell us exactly what those things are. But John does specifically mention to us that the talk of the town again here in this context is that water to wine story. So as I'm reading this, I tend to believe that that the official had heard that Jesus had done some great things, 
but he was really stepping out in faith to ask Jesus to do something greater than, than, than he had heard Jesus do just yet. It's a great reminder to us that we don't need to box God in to the things that we think that he's capable of doing. The official shows up and expresses a level of faith, believing that if Jesus will come with him, that he can make his son right. And you might have asked the official, why do, why do you think that's possible? I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really enamored with the fact that he turned water into wine. And so if anybody can heal my son, I think, I think Jesus is a great candidate to do that. He comes and makes this request. He rightfully believes that Jesus can do greater things than what he's previously heard about to this point. Number three, the official wrongly believed that Jesus' power was, was tied to his proximity. See, for the official, he comes thinking that Jesus has to come with me for my son to be healed. And probably in his mind is thinking, he's going to have to touch my son for him to be healed as well. And Jesus blows that completely out of the water for him. So while the official comes and I think he thinks that Jesus is capable of doing bigger and better things than what he has previously heard, he's still kind of boxing in God a little bit here. He's still kind of limiting him and saying, hey, we have to go, we have to hurry. So even though he believes that Jesus is capable of healing his dying son, there's almost this urgency that if we're too late, you won't be able to do anything about it, right? And so even in his initial expression of, I think you can do great things, maybe greater things than other people have seen you do, he's still got a mindset of, but there's probably some things that you wouldn't be able to do. Like, do this from a distance, you're going to have to come with me, and if you don't hurry up, we're going to be too late, and then you won't be able to fix it. And Jesus grows and stretches this individual's faith through this story because he doesn't go with him, right? He doesn't yield to this request, but he does ultimately give the guy what he wants, and that's the healing of his son. I think for us, in a day and age where, where many of us heard things about God for so long, we, we've grown up in church, we've grown up reading the Bible, we, we've heard a lot of things about God, we still too oftentimes are boxing God in on things that we think he can and can't do. And we need to be real careful about that. We need to be real careful about that because I think God loves to exceed our expectations. And I think we can pray and I think we can believe beyond some of our earthly expectations that we don't have to limit God because God is not limited Jesus, Jesus shows that proximity, that, that space does not confine his power. He showed that earlier in the story with the water to wine that he, he's not bound by time either, right? What would normally take a long period of time for wine to ferment and get to the point where you could serve it as wine, I mean, Jesus just does it instantaneously, right? He's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He exceeds our expectations, and he does so again in this story, and it's a good reminder to us that we ought to believe that God is bigger than what we have heard. We don't need to box him in. Number two, we need to believe that God's word, we need to believe God's word over our own personal experience. We need to believe God's word over our own personal experience. For our kids, God gives us the Bible to help us believe. So we need to believe that, that God is bigger and capable of more than what sometimes we believe he's capable of in our own minds. But then secondly, there are times where we are going to have to believe God 
when our experience doesn't feel right, when, our, when what we're experiencing doesn't seem to match up with what we're being told to believe about God, that at those times we have to continue to choose to believe God, even when it doesn't feel like that's what we're personally experiencing. It says, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Notice, first of all, that Jesus wants people to believe him before seeing results. Jesus wants people to believe him before seeing results. I already told you that this rebuke is plural for the entire crowd. Jesus wants to see their faith grow as a result of miracles. Matthew chapter 8, and sometimes this, this passage here comes under criticism from those who are not the type of people who hold God's word in high regard, and they will criticize this story because of how similar it seems to what happens in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the, but the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Here, the individual is commended for his faith, not rebuked. Here, Jesus is in Capernaum, not having somebody come from Capernaum. These are two separate stories. Similarities but two separate situations. But it does give us some indication as to what Jesus would have liked to have seen in John chapter four, right? Here, Jesus offers to go to this man's house. Oh, you have a servant? You have somebody who needs healing? Let me go to him. Servant stops him and says, you don't have to do that. Like, like you don't have to make that special trip over there. You can say it right here and it'll be done, right? He's like, I'm not fully expecting that you have all the power to do this with your words. You don't have to come over here and do that. He says, I know what it's like to be in charge of things. I just, I just speak it, and it happens. I tell people to do what I tell them to do, and they respond and do it. He says, you can speak this right now and heal him. And that's where Jesus steps back and says, this is what I'm looking for right here. Somebody who believes it before it actually happens. Not believing in me after it happens, but believing in me before it happens. Like, we, we can be great at testifying to God's greatness after he works good for us in a bad situation. We, we can be really great at that, testifying and believing in God because we can look back and say, oh, this was bad, this was terrible, and look what God did on the other side of it. And we ought to, we ought to testify and praise God for those things. But what Jesus really desires is that we would testify about his greatness in the midst of the difficulty before we see how he works it for good that he's given us his word, in all things I work good for my children. He doesn't want us to wait until we see the good things come out of that to then say, oh, God is great. Let me praise him for his greatness. Look what he did in the midst of this difficulty. What he desires is a mature faith that in the midst of the difficulty can praise God and his greatness and say, I know he is going to do good in this situation, even if I never see it even if I never see it. 
That's the difference in these two stories. You've got an individual who says, I know you can do this. I know you can do this, and I know you can do it in ways that, that, that would blow the people's minds here. The other guy says, I know you can do it, but I think you've got to come and do it. I think you've got to come and do it. And Jesus says, look, you, you, you can't be the type of person that only believes when you see the miracles. The miracles are meant to reinforce your belief, but I desire that the belief comes before you see those miracles. We want to believe God's word over our own personal experience. Jesus is not interested in people just being happy because they get something from the miracle. He wants to eliminate the sideshow that is starting to gather with him. Let's see what the next miracle this Jesus performs will be. Think about what happens in the story of the 10 lepers. You have these 10 lepers who cry out to Jesus for healing, and Jesus heals them. He tells them to go. Go and, 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 and go show yourself to the priest so that you can be cleansed in the sense of a declaration being given to you that you've been healed from your leprosy. So they take that initial effort to start moving in that direction to go, and they're healed. And only one comes back and thanks Jesus for it. And we had a guy that came and spoke at chapel today, and he was, or this week at school, and he was talking about this story. And it, and it resonated with me because I don't know that I had ever really honed in on the fact that it was a Samaritan leper who came back and thanked Jesus. And so as I'm studying for this week and I'm thinking about like, man, the Samaritans, they're showing great faith. The Jews, not so much. The Samaritans don't need the miracles. They believe in Jesus at his word. The Jews seem to need the miracles. And then you see this other story where the lepers, nine of them being Jews and one of them being a Samaritan, it seems like, and only the Samaritan comes back and praises Jesus for what has taken place in his life. Again, an example where Jesus doesn't want the miracles, the good things that he does to be what draws us to him. It's a belief in who he is that he desires. Jesus wants people to believe him before seeing the results. Number two, the official believed Jesus' word before seeing the results. And that's what happens here. Jesus expresses what he desires, and then he gets what he desires from at least one individual, and that's the official. Because instead of going with him as requested, Jesus simply tells him, your son's healed. Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And then as he was going down, his servant met him, told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. What's interesting when you look at these times is that the official, if he had been as urgent and as concerned and as anxious as he was before he got to Jesus, right? I mean, he's like running around like, we got to go, we got to go now. My son's dying, like he may not make it. You would have expected, Jesus says, okay, your son's healed. You would have expected this guy to book it as fast as he could to get back. And if he had, he would have made it the same day. But he seems to take his time getting back, which again is a nod to his faith that he absolutely believed that his son was fine, that it did not demand him overly pushing himself to get back. It would have been dangerous to travel late. It would have been dangerous to travel overnight. But when we're talking about your kid and being concerned about your kid, you travel through the night to get back to him, right? 
This guy shows up with this angst, I mean, this anxiety. I am going to lose my son unless you intervene. And you got to come and do it. Jesus says, I don't have to come and do anything. I can do it from right here. And we'll see if you believe or not by whether or not you trust that I can do that. And he says, your son's going to get better. And it seems like the guy really believes, one, because the text tells us that he believed his word, but then secondly, because it takes him longer to get back than it should have. That he must have really believed, my son's fine. My son's fine, and I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to be anxious anymore. Jesus performs the miracle, doesn't go with him, doesn't even give him a sign of proof that it's happened. The official's belief is simply based on being informed by Jesus' word, which is the same as the Samaritans that we saw earlier in this chapter. It goes back to what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. It's the idea that believing is what is seeing. It's believing things even when we can't see them, even if we never see them, right? God says, I I promise to work all things for the good of my children. And we believe that, hopefully. And oftentimes, we get to see that. We get to see how God works good for his children in the midst of difficulties. There are other times where we will never see it on this earth that God does not feel obligated to tell us exactly how he worked that situation for good. And it's in those times where personally what we are experiencing doesn't give us proof or evidence that he did do good in that situation. And it's in those situations where we have to take him at his word and believe that promise, even when we don't necessarily feel the fulfillment of it, that we take him at his word like the official did. The official's response let us know, lets us know that he believed. He heard the promise, he believed it, and his demeanor changed. His anxiety seems to disappear. And that's where I would ask us this morning, do we believe like this in regards to Romans eight twenty eight? Do we see trouble resulting in good before it happens? Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the type of faith that Jesus wants from us this morning. The type of faith that says, I believe that God is going to do this because he has promised it. I believe it before it happens. I don't just look back on it and rejoice over what God has done after I've seen these things happen. I anticipate and believe it before it happens. That's our summary sentence, that God wants to take us from shallow faith to mature faith so that we believe and expect his faithfulness before we actually see it reducing that amount of time it takes for us to trust him in the midst of difficulty. We need to trust Jesus enough to allow him to operate in whatever ways he chooses, even when it's not what we wanted. I mean, this guy has to adjust his expectations here, right? Like his expectation was, I'm going to go and I'm going to seal the deal and I'm going to get this carpenter to come back to Capernaum and heal my son. And that's probably what he told his servants, like expect us, expect us to be coming back with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't do what he expected, And so the guy has to adjust his expectations. He has to allow Jesus to do and to perform in the ways that he chooses, not in the ways that he wants him to. And that's what he does. He expresses faith here. He believes him. Believe that God is bigger than you've heard. Believe God's God's word over your own personal experience. And then number three, believe God more when you hear about him from others. 
Believe God more when you hear about him from others. For our kids, tell others when God does something great. And I need this, this section as much as anybody in here today, I'll tell you that. Because I don't typically believe in God more when I hear about it from others. I typically act like an unchristian skeptic when I hear about God doing great things for other people. I'll just be honest with you. Um, I typically doubt the validity of people's stories when they try to tell me that God did this. Try to explain it away. Well, that didn't happen. And it definitely didn't happen the way you're telling me it happened. Like, that just, that just can't be possible. And as I'm reading and studying that this week, I'm thinking like, why do I do that? Like, why do I act like a lost person who's trying to disprove the power of God when I hear about it from other people? Like, like why do I want to err on the side of caution and try to explain it away and give credit to anything and everything but God when God seems to do great things in the lives of other people? The guy believes the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Number one, the official believed more after after seeing the results. He believed more after seeing the results. We should personally believe God more when he shows his power. The miracle occurred precisely when Jesus spoke it. There was no way to confuse it as a natural progression of healing. Imagine if the son had just started getting better when the official got back. He could have easily started to think, man, was that trip really necessary? Did I really have to go ask Jesus for that? Because it seems like maybe... The medicine did start working that we had given to him previously, or maybe his body was able to fight it off. Um, maybe, he, maybe his body just kind of healed itself naturally. Like, if, if, if he had started getting better at any other time, I don't know if everybody believes like they do in this spot. But the fact that he, he obviously took note of it too, right? I mean, how many times can I ask you, hey, what happened at 1.30 yesterday? You'd be like, uh, I don't know. Or asking about an event and me asking you exactly what time did that event happen yesterday. Unless you take special note of that, that's not going to be something that you automatically recall. I got to think that when Jesus said it and the guy believes it and goes his way, that he absolutely took note of what time it was. What time is it right now? So that when I get back, I want to find out. I want to find out if this started happening right when Jesus said that it would. And that's exactly what he finds is that his son started to improve at the exact time that Jesus said that he would. This is another picture of what we've been saying throughout our study of John, that we believe and then we keep on believing more and more and more as we see God reveal himself. Those who are truly converted at one time will keep on believing throughout time. Let me say that again. Those truly converted at one time will keep on believing throughout time. Salvation is not a single decision. It's a growing dependence on God. Do we cross from death to life at one one point in history? Absolutely. And does our faith just stop growing at that point? Absolutely not. We've seen the disciples believe and then believe some more and then believe some more and then believe some more. This ought to be great assurance to anybody who gets saved at five or six years old, and then when they get to be 12, 13, 17, 18, and they're sitting around going, man, I believe in Jesus a whole lot more now 
than I did when I was five. Maybe I just recently got saved. That doesn't have to be the case. There's a really great chance that you've been saved the whole time and you got saved with your initial expression of faith and you've been like a true disciple of Jesus who just keeps believing him more and more and more as you see his faithfulness. There's no reason for us to believe that the official did not really believe Jesus when he said these things. It tells us the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And then we're told he himself believed again. The the official believes twice, just like the Samaritan group did earlier in this chapter. Remember, they come to the woman, they say, look, we believed initially because of your testimony, and now we believe again or we believe more because we've sat under his teaching and we've heard more about him and we believe even more than we did initially. Some passages that help us see this, this idea of ongoing belief in the New Testament. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. These are people who have believed and then he challenges them, if you abide in my truth, in my word, you are truly my disciples. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He talks about these things that are true about them if they continue in their belief. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 14, and 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 are other passages that talk about this. The official believed more after seeing the results. Number two, others believed by seeing the faith of the official. Others believed by seeing the faith of the official. We should help others believe by our own faith and testimony about God's power. So you got two things going on here in, in the end of the story. You've got individuals believing more, believing more as they hear, as they see God do things. And then you have others believing in God because somebody else is expressing kind of the reason or the explanation for what you've just observed, right? All they know is the guy got better at this time of day yesterday. They don't know why. They don't, they don't know what the details are. So you got to think the official begins to express and tell them, this is what happened. I spoke with Jesus. Jesus refused to come back with me, but he spoke at that very moment that our son, my son would get better. And he, and, he, and he did according to you. And so his whole household believes. So there's, there's two points of application, I think, for us here. One, we need to be faithful to tell others about the great things that God's doing in our life so that they can have their faith increase. We don't need to keep that to ourselves. We need to express the great things that God does in our life so that others' faith will be challenged and and will grow to more maturity. But then I think also we have to be careful, like I shared earlier, that we don't discount the things that God's doing in the lives of others because we may be missing an opportunity for our own faith to grow more. But I'm I'm the biggest skeptic. I wrote in my notes right here, often I seem to be afraid to give God credit for something like I think he wouldn't want credit for. Often I seem to be afraid to give God credit for something like I think he wouldn't want credit for it. I err on the side of not giving credit to it. I don't know why I do that, but I'm very quick to do it. Uh, Tyson and I had a similar response to something that happened two weeks ago. One of our Bible teachers sends a text message to everybody and says, Hey, guys, I want you to know I just had a conversation with this student. 
and he has expressed belief in Jesus. He wants to be saved. And I think Tyson and I have the exact same response. Mm, probably not. Mm, not that kid. Like, we know that kid. And it's like, yeah, we knew him before salvation, right? Like, anybody that gets saved, we ought to be able to say, mm, probably not that person. That person's sin- sinful, right? And that's exactly who Jesus saves, right? Like, the people that you would say, not that kid, Right? And I remember in our prayer time the next morning, like Tyson's praying, exactly what I'm feeling is that, man, help me not to discredit or to doubt immediately the validity of something like that. Why? Because we're praying every morning that God would save our kids. I mean, we come together as a staff every morning and pray, Jesus, save our students that aren't believers. And then the first time we get a report that, hey, God may have answered one of your prayers, we're like, mm, probably not. Can you, can you not bother us? We're praying over here for salvations of kids. It's like, what are we doing? Why, why would we be so quick to discount and not give credit to something as though we're like, oh, God wouldn't want his hands on that. Like, like that's not the type of thing that God does. I mean, we're not even talking about something that, that's like out of the ordinary for God to do, right? Like if somebody came in and said, hey, you won't believe this. I was caught in traffic and God lifted my car up and like flew me here to work. Then you can say, no, no, I don't think he did that. But we're talking about things that he has a precedent of doing that too often times we're quick to say, mm, I don't know about that. I'm quick to do it when we talk about like people being healed. I'd much rather say, ah, praise the Lord for good doctors and good medicine. I'm not always as quick as I should be to say, man, praise God that he intervened on top of doctors and medicine to heal that individual. That's exactly what happens in this story. And these servants could have easily said, eh, we had the best doctors in here yesterday at that time too probably just a coincidence that this guy Jesus spoke at the same time that you're saying that he got better. No, it says that they believed the official and they believed as a household about what God had done. I don't know if this is true or not, but it's a cool story if it is in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 verse 1, soon afterward he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. There's a lot of commentators who believe that this woman is the wife of this man who is the very official who came and had his son healed by Jesus. That, that mama recognized the greatness of Jesus and said, we're going to start supporting his ministry. We're going to help fund his ministry. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but certainly something happened in the household of Herod for this woman to get on board with Jesus' ministry. So if it's not this story, it's something, something got her on board with that. And it may very well be that she responded to her husband's faith and her faith became personal to her in a way that she begins to support Jesus' ministry. Three things that I want you to see about faith from this passage. Number one, Jesus is concerned about shallow, immature faith. What do I mean by that? Jesus isn't okay with our faith staying exactly where it's at. He wants it to grow and to mature. He's not okay with this shallow faith where these people are only going to keep believing if they see the miracles and the signs. He wants to strengthen their faith. He wants their faith to mature. He's concerned about it. Number two, he tests and strengthens our faith to grow it. Now, that immature faith is a result of not 
being directly tied into God's word like we need to be. So our level of faith is directly tied to our knowledge of the word. How do we go from immature, shallow faith to deeper faith? We increase our exposure to God's word because that's where faith is tied to. It's believing God at his word. So we need to know his word in order to see our faith grow. But then Jesus is going to give us opportunities to have our faith tested and strengthened. He's going to put us into situations where we have to believe Romans 8, 28, that he works good for his children. He's going to put us in situations to grow our faith so that we believe him on the backside versus the front side. That we believe him before he comes through for us versus only after he comes through for us. And then number three, he rewards proven faith. Jesus gives us a little insight into how God views our faith. One, he's concerned about our shallow faith. Two, he wants to test and strengthen our faith so that it does mature. And then number three, he responds. When we, when we show faith and our faith is proven, he responds to it. And we see the response here. This guy's son is healed, but the greater miracle is that his household his household believes in Jesus. That's the bigger miracle. Because the son would get sick again, or at some point he's going to die. Jesus doesn't give him immortality here from a, from a physical standpoint. He heals him temporarily, and then eventually that boy's going to grow up and die. Bigger miracle is that a household is granted eternity here. Not just a few more years of living, but granted eternity here. Jesus rewards proven faith. Application for us. Three questions, and then three things for you to look for this week, ways to do these things. Number one, do you find yourself regularly believing in Jesus more? Look for ways to believe in God more this week as you see him at work. And, and, and take those opportunities and make them points of opportunity for you to believe in him more. Don't just be satisfied with the current status of your faith. Don't just be satisfied with the fact that years ago you started believing in Jesus. Let yourself become a true disciple of Jesus and, 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 and believe in him more and more as he, as he shows himself. Look for ways to believe in God more this week as you see him at work, whether that's in your life or in the lives of others. Number two, do you find yourself believing more when you hear others' testimonies? Open yourself up to believe accounts of God's work when shared with you this week. Again, using discernment, because there are some, some, some wacky things out there that, that ought to be judged and measured and assessed. But don't be the critic of things that God is typically known to do. Don't try to discount his work so quickly. And again, that part may just be for me, because I know I'm guilty of that. I want to open myself up to believe in God more because of what I hear that he's doing in the lives of others. And then number three, do others grow in their belief because of your infectious faith? Look, you may be skeptical of the crazy lady that you work with and her stories of how God's working and moving in her life. But I would hope within this context, you would not have to be skeptical of people's testimonies within this church. But for our faith to increase because of what God's doing in the lives of people in this church, we have to be faithful to share that with each other. We have to be faithful to, to, to give God credit and give him his due. To not just be like the lepers who run away and say, thank you, God, for what you did, but, but not really acknowledging the source of that, that giving. We need to be faithful to, to share what God's doing in, in the midst of this church with each other so that each other's faith can grow as well. Do others grow in their belief because of your infectious faith? Find ways to share how God is working in your life with those around you this week.
And then our family worship questions. What are some things that God has done for our family over the years that can help us believe in him more? And then number two, what are some things that we know God has done recently for others that can help us believe in him more as well? Believe that God's bigger than you've heard. Believe his word over your own personal experience and believe him more when you hear about him from others. Let's pray together. God, we are very thankful this morning that you are a God who is all-powerful, who is capable of doing anything that you desire to do that fits within your plans. And God, while we have heard of great things that you have done in the past, help us to never box you in with our own expectations of what you can and can't do today. God, help us to never limit what you're capable of doing in our own life God, help us instead to take you at your word and to believe you. God, particularly help us to believe Romans 8, 28, that you work good for your children at all times. God, as we get ready to step out of this room and we approach another week, God, there are things that will occur this week that we have not anticipated, that we have not planned for. There will be hiccups to the schedule that we've put on our calendar. There will be undesirable things that occur this week that we would have never chosen for ourselves. But God, help us to resolve right now in this moment to believe that you intend to work good in everything that occurs this week if we're your child. Help us to believe that today and not just next Sunday when we see some of the good that comes out of this week. Help us to believe today that you have good in store for us this week even if we don't see it this week. God, help us to be open to believe in you more and more as we hear about how you're working in the lives of others. Remove that skeptical mindset that so often plagues us. Help us to instead be like these servants who hear the official's account and believe in you based on his faith in you. Help us to surround ourselves with people who have strong faith in you so that when they testify of your greatness, it can lead us to believe in you more. Thank you for caring about us enough to not leave us in a state of shallow faith. Thank you for caring about us enough to put us in spots and put us in positions so that our faith can be strengthened. Help us to expect your faithfulness this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.